0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning. I'm so honored to be here with you this weekend. Uh, pastor Ron, I think of kind of like a father. You know, he just kind of wraps you up in his arms. Um, and so you just have a real blessing um, for Pastor Ron as your pastor. And I'm honored to study Ephesians with you. You've been in chapter one for the past uh, few weeks. Um, And Paul is writing this beautiful like story of our Christian identity. Um, And he started um, the first week talking about how we're adopted children of God. And then um, we learned about how we have an inheritance with God and how we already have a deposit of that inheritance in the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And then last week, you talked about how we are enriched with the inheritance um, um, from God. And so I just think all of this is so beautiful and majestic, and I want to kind of live that kind of Christian identity, don't you? But I don't always feel that way. Do you always feel that way? (laughs) Yeah, sometimes life just doesn't feel like we're really experiencing the glorious and riches of his inheritance, right? It just doesn't seem realistic all the time. Um, A few years ago, my daughter reached the age where she could read some of my favorite childhood books. A Babysitter's Club and Nancy Drew. Anybody else? fans. Yeah. Okay. I'm not the only one. I spent my allowance money on those books. So every time a new book was going to be released, I was at the bookstore ready to buy it. I would read it in like a day, write my name in it and put it safely on my bookshelf. And I saved all of them. I had lots of them. (laughs) And then when I was preparing to move from Illinois to California, I put them in a box to keep them safe so that my daughter, when she got old enough, could read them. But she got to that age, and so I was so excited, I started looking in my house for the books. And I couldn't find them anywhere. I searched under the beds, in the closet, like everywhere I could think of. And they weren't anywhere. And I was so disappointed. Like, They were really precious to me, and I had lost them. I was really disappointed in myself of how I could accidentally have thrown them away or given them to goodwill. How could I have let that happen? But they weren't anywhere. I literally looked everywhere. So I was just like, I guess that's it. I just have to let go of that dream, and just there's no hope. They are gone. And you might feel that way, too. Um, Not just about books, but other things in your life. That you just don't have, you don't experience the hope to which God has called you. Or you might feel lost and forgotten. Um, And that you're just not found. Um, So I wanted to invite you to think, where have you lost hope in your life today? You could maybe write that down in your phone, or if you have a journal that you take notes Just want to give you a moment um, to really identify where have you lost hope in your life. God, you hear us and you see and know what's going on in our hearts and minds as we think about this passage today and this topic where we've lost hope. We invite you to come, be present with us, speak to us about these things that are so dear to us. We invite you. um, We open our hearts and our eyes and our ears for you to speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23 is one long sentence in the Greek. You can see why the English interpreters, translators, um, split it up. (laughs) Because that's a really, really long sentence. Um, So last week, when we ended in uh, verse 18, that wasn't the end. So there's more to come after the hope to which he has called you and your glorious inheritance. So we're going to see what else Paul wants to say today to the Ephesian church. We're starting in verse 19. So verse 19 begins with... And, so let's just recap where we've been since usually we don't start a sermon with and. (laughs) So I think if we go back to verse 18, it'll help us with the context for what Paul is talking about. He says in 18, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know, know what? That's the thing that he's talking about, right? So you may know one We see in verse 18, the hope to which he has called you to the richest, riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints. And now we get to verse 19, the third thing he wants the Ephesians to know. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power? So the immeasurable greatness of his power, Paul's language is just lavish and liturgical because God has power, but it's not just regular power, it's great power. And it's not just great power, his power has greatness. And it's not measurable on some earthly scale, it's immeasurable greatness, <laughs> Paul just keeps expanding it and making it bigger and bigger and bigger to realize we can't really comprehend this immeasurable greatness of power that God has. I think of it kind of like the strongman game um, at the carnival or fair, you know, where you like hit with the hammer the base and it sends the puck up to hit the bell. So the strongest people. Um, you know, want to try this. And some people never hit the bell. And, you know, some people, they're so wonderful, they actually hit the bell. And, you know, and we clap and are amazed. I think God just, like, walks over to the strongman game and just, like, casually touches it with a finger. And then the puck shoots up through the bell and just keeps going into outer space and never comes down. It's just that powerful. We can't comprehend it. So, and it's this power, Paul says, that is for us who believe. So I want to know how, how is this power for us who believe? What does that look like? How do we get access to this power? Is it something we use or is it utilized on our behalf? Um, What does this power mean for our everyday lives? But Paul doesn't tell us. So we're just going to continue on to verse 20. Verse 20. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So God put this power, this immeasurable greatness of power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So the worst thing we think of death, like couldn't even hold Jesus back in God's power. And then not only did Jesus conquer death, but now he's seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. So being at the right hand of God is the most authoritative place to sit. And Jews believe that the heavenly places wasn't just the sun and the stars like up there, the sky. It's where the spiritual and angelic forces lived. So Paul is saying Jesus is in the most authoritative place in the spiritual realm. Like You think of power, the really powerful people, things in the spiritual realm, and Jesus is at the top. Nobody's higher than him, because he's right next to God. So Christ is raised from the dead and is seated with God with ultimate influence in the spiritual realm. So Paul goes on in verse 21. So we're talking about Christ who is risen from the dead and seated with God in the heavenly places. So he is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. So Jesus' authority is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion again paul is being really lavish every like word you can think of he maybe he checked a thesaurus <laughs> for the different words to say for rule cuz he says four of them here cuz he's pretty serious jesus authority is above all the things that have power everything So coming from a belief in magic, the Ephesians worshipped um, the god Diana, who was the queen of the heavenly realms. So Paul's saying, Jesus is even more powerful than Diana, more powerful than magic, more powerful than zodiacs, more powerful than anything and everything. He is the one with ultimate authority. And it's not only that Jesus has authority above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. Also, Jesus has authority over every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. So every leader, powerful person, no other gods, no Greek or Roman gods, no Zeus or Diana, nobody in the past has a name above Jesus. Nobody in the present has a name above Jesus, and nobody in the future has a name above Jesus. And when Jews talk about the age to come, like Paul does here, they're not just talking generally about the future, but really specifically about the future when God's reign rules. That's what the age to come symbolizes to them. So Paul is saying, even in that age, when it's like God rules the spiritual world and earth and everything, Jesus still has the most power. His authority is above every name for all time. Um, It never expires. It never loses its potency. Um, So the Ephesians don't need to be upset about, worried about upsetting their um, Diana, God, because Jesus has authority over every other name for all time. And Paul goes on. There's still more things that Jesus has authority over. Verse 22. And he, that's God, again, has put all things under Jesus' feet and has made him the head over all things for the church. So God has put all things under Jesus' feet. All things. Redwood trees, the ocean depths, the mountains, all creation, real estate, businesses, stock markets, everything is under Jesus' feet and under his authority. Jesus' authority surpasses and outlasts everything else. And not only that, God has also made Jesus the head over all things for the church. So Jesus is the ultimate authority for all followers of the way. Those who follow the way are following Jesus as their authority, not the pastor, not the blogger, not the worship leader, the worship band, um, not all the people that we think of are really cool on our (laughs) earthly standards, really. The followers of the way are following Jesus. He is the ultimate authority. So since Paul has listed off all of these things to make it evident, to make it, we can't argue that Jesus has authority over everything. He must be arguing for a reason, right? They must have been wondering, does Jesus really have authority in this thing or that thing? Because all the people around us are worshiping different things. Is Jesus really the most authoritative? So I wanted to know from you, what power do you fear? What makes you afraid that Jesus' authority isn't quite strong enough? I want to give you a moment to reflect on that. So Jesus' authority outshines every president and king. Jesus can never be canceled. He can never be fired by his boss. He can't be evicted because his home is everywhere. Jesus is more just than the law. Jesus gets his way more than toddlers or teenagers. I have three teenagers, yeah. (laughs) Jesus is wealthier than all the richest men in the world, so he's strong enough to be better and have more resources for, that, for us than our 501Ks or our IRAs. Jesus' dominion exceeds every country. Jesus will accomplish his plans no matter which political party is in power. Jesus is always the same and always authoritative no matter how much the generations change. Jesus' rule um, is always more authoritative and perfect than any of the celebrity pastors that we've seen get caught in adultery or other immorality or sin. Jesus has authority over everything. So to recap from Paul, God has taken initiative and acted to put under Jesus' authority all rule, power, dominion, and authority. Every name that is named in this age and the age to come is under Jesus' authority. All things under Jesus' feet are under Jesus' authority. And all things for the church are under Jesus' authority. So let's end um, Paul's long sentence here, in verse twenty-three. So he's he ended twenty-two with the church, which is Jesus' body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So the church is Jesus' body. The fullness of Jesus is in the church. And again, we see that Paul's language is lavish. Fullness, fill, all, all. All has been repeated five times in these five verses. So in case you missed it, Paul wants to make it very clear Jesus' authority is over all things. Nothing is left out. All things. Yet, Jesus is also intimate with his followers because they are his body. And the fullness to be filled with something means to be present to or extend influence over. So Jesus is present to his followers. Jesus extends influence over the church. And it's not only the Ephesian church. Paul isn't saying that only the Ephesian church is the fullness of God because Paul uses this language in Colossians and 1 Corinthians as well. So the church in Colossae and the church in Corinth are also part of Jesus' body. So Paul is talking about the universal church, the big C church. So no matter what city or denomination or church organization you're in, the followers of the way together are the fullness of God and filled with Jesus. So back to our questions. How is this immeasurable greatness of power for us? Well, we Christians are Jesus' body. And Jesus is seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. So somehow, as his body, we are experiencing his authority in the heavenly places. We are somehow exalted already with Christ, risen from the dead, in Um, the heavenly places in the spiritual realm we're already kind of experiencing this power so it's a pretty amazing i don't know like mystery idea because that doesn't always that's not how we experience life but there's somehow that it's already true that it's not just in the end Um, when we're united physically again with Jesus in the second coming, but somehow already we can experience this exaltation in Jesus' power in the spiritual realm. Paul's going to go on and talk more about this in chapter two. So make sure you're here when Pastor Ron talks about chapter two. (laughs) But to finish this sentence um, with what Paul has been talking about in chapter one, we see this overarching theme here of power that we've been talking about and being empowered. Paul wants to make it very clear that our King Jesus has the most authority over everything for all time, everywhere. So even when life doesn't reflect victory, we know that our King will have the last word, Death can't keep him um, in the grave and hinder his authority. Um, and he overpowers every other force in the world. Our king isn't threatened or intimidated by others' show of force. And our king doesn't even need weapons. He doesn't even have a military because the war with Satan's already over and done. It was not a big deal. He conquered Satan so fast. So Jesus is king over all. And yet, our king is intimately united with his followers. So back to our beginning question. Where is it that you have lost hope in your life? Where do you think that Jesus just doesn't have enough authority to impact that particular circumstance, or situation that you're in. It was four years ago, just this month, um, that my life began to feel a bit more like this, just really hopeless and in distress. Um, uh, Three nights um, in October 2018, my husband didn't come home, and he didn't answer my calls or my texts. And then after that, he moved out, And has divorced me. And my kids feel um, in the middle of the mess, as I've seen them say. And one of my kids struggles with mental health and depression. And my journal is filled with a lot of laments and pleas um, for God to show us his goodness in the land of the living. Um, Many days I ask him, like, how will things get better? When will things get better? Will things ever get better? (laughs) Um, Have I lost out on love? How, How will my kids' childhoods be redeemed from this? I got a text a few weeks ago from my mom. And as I opened the message... My breath caught in my throat. It was a picture. A picture of books. My Nancy Drew and Babysitter's Club books. I had left them in Illinois. It just felt in that moment, God knew I had given up all hope on those books. But he knew they were so precious. And he made them be found at just the right time to encourage me that not everything in life is hopeless. Even what seems the most hopeless in my family right now, God can still work. So if our king can keep track of just paperback books, they weren't even Newberry Award winning books, <laughs> they were just regular paperback books, our king can keep track of anything. He has authority over everything. It really matters to us. With our king, hope is never lost. He is powerful enough to bring good out of the darkest situations. Nothing we fear has more authority in our lives than King Jesus. Our king will have the ultimate victory and final word on earth and in our church because he is the ultimate authority on the earth and in the spiritual realms so today i want to ask you how do you need to trust in god's immeasurable greatness of of power for you i'm going to give you a minute of reflection time and then i'll close in prayer God, you've heard our internal reflections. What powers we fear. Where we've lost hope. But we are empowered because we are yours, your body. Somehow in the mystery of things, We participate in your authority. And as Paul has made very clear, you have the ultimate authority over everything, everyone. In this age, the age to come, everything under your feet and for the church. You are worth trusting with what we long for. You are worth trusting even when we're afraid. You are our ultimate authority. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.